The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. So this new chemotherapy, what's the deal? It's noted at the beach. It can include abdominal pain, metabolic problems, and nerve damage. This next year might be pretty hard. What could potentially mean many years beyond? Well, it's you is to go through all that pain. I'm down with whatever choice you make. That said, I want to have you as long as I can. Honey, I've run marathons and sat next to Ann Coulter on a plane. How painful could it be? London. It's Thursday, April 1st, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to this, the beautiful month of April. And yes, it's April Fool's, and it has been said that the April Fool is merely the March Fool with one more month added to his folly. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about April Fool's today, because usually what we talk about on this show is about all the foolish things we do all around, year-round, you know? It's politics, isn't it? Good morning, Robert. Hey, Bob, how are you? Not too bad. We have a guest with us in the studio today, and I want to say good morning to Mary Lou Ambrosia. Good morning. Good Mary morning. Lou. Mary Lou is the vice president of the Canadian chapter of the International Free Press Society, that group that brought all that trouble to Canada by sponsoring <laughs> Ann Coulter's tour coming through Canada. 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to reach us this morning. And of course, email us at justwritechrw at gmail.com with your comments, which some people did about last week's show. And we'll be talking about that uh, later as well, because it's all about freedom of speech and Ann Coulter. Um, well, welcome to the show, Mary Lou. Who would have believed that it would have been almost an international event. I, I couldn't have imagined it would have been almost an international event, although I will confess that, that it's part of our mandate at the International Free Press Society is to um, test uh, tolerance for free speech. Uh, so one of the things we want to do is put, uh, you know, make... Well, do you, you see yourself as a piece of litmus paper out there doing these tests? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you look at the, the, the history of the Danish Free Press Society, which is the, uh, the uh, parent organization, uh, it was established in 1835 and dissolved in 1849 once uh, Denmark had its first democratic constitution that guaranteed free speech. But as you know... Since then, um, there have been various threats to free speech, usually ideological or religious-based. Mm -hmm. And so they resurfaced in 2005 after the cartoon incident. Um, and we are the Canadian chapter. There are definitely threats in Canada. They may, they may differ among different countries sure. where, where the focus of that threat is. And then there was the Hershey Alley incident as well. Oh, yeah. In uh, Denmark, the videotape that you can find on YouTube, by the way. Uh, oh, obsession? Yes. You mean? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. What was the actual incident? Oh, I don't recall. Oh, whether or not to uh, allow it to be shown. Oh, oh and Theo okay. Van Gogh, of course, the okay. director was murdered and for murdered, that. Murdered, yeah, murdered for it. Hmm. 
So uh, we have some really serious free speech issues to talk about in this country and in the world. Yes, we do. Now, um, one of the things I guess we want to set the record straight on really who did bring Ann Coulter into the country and why. Because uh, I noticed in all the news press clippings, everything, they're all talking about the universities mm-hmm. having done this. Mm-hmm. And so many people got onto, onto their, you know, holding them responsible for even yes. daring to ask Ann Coulter, which I think they should have done. Sure. They should have been the people that, that did this. But Absolutely. they weren't. Well, we weren't going to hold our breath to wait for that to happen. So tell us about that. Who, yeah. Who, who's, it, who's really the person that everybody should be mad at? You, right? Andrew Lawton. Oh, Andrew Lawton. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, listen. Andrew... Uh, some of you may know him. He mm-hmm. he has a, He's been a blog. On the show. Yes, um, great guy. And a couple He's of got years his own ago, show too, doesn't yes, he, he yeah. does. He is strictly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, he said to me, Mary Lou, I'd like to get Ann Coulter here. Wouldn't that be great if we could get her in the university? Absolutely, it would be great. Um, and we, you know, he talked about it every once in a while, but we didn't have the the resources or the organizational uh, oomph behind us to do it. And so, once I joined the Free Press Society, uh, Andrew and I talked about it again. And we decided that, you know what, we can do this now. We have some organizational backing. Um, Because unlike Robert F. Kennedy Jr., whose uh, rather outrageous speaking fee was paid for by the student council, um, that wasn't the case here. We had to do this on our own, and I wouldn't have it any other way, don't get me wrong. I understand. But I guess it illustrates a point, doesn't it? As you said, it wasn't like we would, if we had sat around and waited for the university to invite such a person, it wouldn't happen. Any university. Uh, that's kind of a sad state state of affairs. I actually. think so. Um, you know, she didn't even have to do too much. Um, do you think you proved your point? <laughs> I think we did. Yes, I do. Be- your point and beyond, actually. I think yes. you've caused such a, a storm yes. with Ann Coulter. I don't. Did, did you actually expect it to be such a controversy? No, no. honestly, when we thought about it, uh, we we thought about possibly be having difficulty getting her. The, the universities to agree to book a room to uh, for us, mm-hmm. and maybe nickel and diming us to d- try and discourage us from making it happen. Or maybe but, putting up posters. And <laughs> yeah, not letting us put up posters. That one we did anticipate, actually. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Andrew and, and the guys have a fair bit of experience with this kind of thing, so they know. Of course, we're referring to the fact that the University of Ottawa Students' Union refused to allow the um, organization to put up posters yes. advertising the event. That one was outrageous because I have to tell you that our, one of our the student organizers we had in Ottawa is a young guy with a young family. He doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, so we stayed up all night uh, making sure the posters were in English and French, mm-hmm. as you have to do for University of Ottawa. And submitted, he submitted the um, the file to be printed. And remember, the the student federation also runs the print shop. Uh, so we he paid the money to them to have the posters printed. And then they said, "Oh, by the way, you can't put them up on our pillars." Apparently, they have eighty percent of the pillars, mm-hmm. uh, and so they get to decide who, which posters go up. Now, was there I a, mean, think of that. Was That's, there a similar attempt made here at the university? I didn't see I, any um, Ann Coulter posters in the UCC here. Not, we certainly saw a lot of uh, RFK posters. Yes, which yeah. is natural. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the not, UCC here was actually sponsoring that yeah, event, but there wasn't mm-hmm. because of, of any prohibition that I'm aware of. No, I, not that I'm aware of either. I think uh, the guys could have probably put some posters up, and I think they did. I'm not sure. I kind of left that to each of the student organizers to handle in their respective universities. Now, what I find funny is that in some articles in the newspapers 
I read that they were suggesting the organizers actually planned all yeah. of this controversy, yeah. planned the fact that you couldn't put up posters, planned yeah. the uh, <laughs> the protests, the banging of windows in Calgary, mm. planned all that because you're such great planners. I wish, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not at all. But you're right. That was that was kind of laughable. So when I hear people say that, I think, come on, it's get your facts straight. Actually, we've got a clip coming up later on in the show um, that Ezra is in that he, he addresses this issue and he kind of lets us know who he thinks is really responsible for creating all <laughs> the pu publicity. Yeah. And it's kind of no, and, and again, I can tell you from day one we had difficulties with Ottawa in particular. And this happened before Francois Houle sent out his letter, his infamous letter. Um, so, you tell me. Yeah. Now, actually, the Free Press Society that, that gave you the sort of the, the organizational ability to bring Ann Coulter here also has another couple of other people, Canadians, prominent Canadians as part of their board who are uh, perhaps lending weight to the fact that you could get somebody of the Coulter's caliber in Canada. And you're talking, mm -hmm. of course, about Kathy Shadel and Ezra Levant. Yep. Yeah, and of course, Ezra was the um, introductory speaker to... Mark to Stein Ann is also involved. Mark Stein as well, right. yes. We've got some amazing people on our advisory board, and that's for the international organization. Um, but a couple of them, the Canadian now, ones, are also on our know, advisory board. This, this brings up a question that I thought about last night, in fact. Um, you know, Mark Stein is pretty well known. He's a pretty serious guy, and, mm -hmm. and so are a couple of these other people. Ezra Levant was just treated like a hero at the yep. event. There certainly wasn't that anger towards him that there might have been, you know... Ezra got a round of applause from, from everybody. almost everybody yeah. in that uh, lecture hall for, at Western. Remember, mm -hmm. though, he's doing something different than Ann Coulter was doing. Ann Coulter doesn't just talk about freedom of speech as Ezra gets to sort of focus on, and everybody's yes. with him on that. She's actually criticizing the left out there yes. really radically and criticizing the American government and what they're doing. And that will bring a lot of, you know, broader range of... Of response. Than, yes, ironically, than a it was issue. Ezra who brought up the entire yeah. free speech issue as an introductory to Ann Coulter. He was basically saying, "Let's be civil. Let's all get together and mm -hmm. and just uh, we'll we'll allow the left uh, to, or the right to question Ann Coulter after the speech." And uh, but we, let's be civil about it. And everybody pretty much was, uh, with rare exception. And um, and Co Ann Coulter's speech actually was almost like anticlimactic. It was. Okay, here's the left. The left can say whatever they want. The right can't. Yeah, yeah. That was my. That was her speech. Mm -hmm. But it was almost as if that speech itself, what Ann Coulter's words actually were, wasn't even the topic in any of the articles that I saw. No, no, no. no that's right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to get to that actually in a moment. But first, you know, the issue of these people associating um, that they would associate with someone as quote controversial, quote radical, quote extreme right wing, quote as Ann Coulter must say something. And, you know, I expected her to say, like you said, it was a little anticlimactic, you know, I expected her to say really horrible things that I was going to, oh, this, I'm going to find out what all this is about. And quite frankly, I wasn't plus by anything. And she even on Michael Corrin said that she doesn't regard herself as a controversial figure. Yes. And I kind of understand that on a, on a certain level. Well, I, th uh, I think... Bob, this is again. This is a, a, a fallout from the the way that the, the the media takes her quotes out of context selectively and throws them out there. If you read, and I've said this to several reporters when they ask me, "Do you like her?" Yeah, actually, I do. But then again, I've read her entire body of work, mm -hmm. and I understand her within the context of her work and what she does. So I I too, when I hear people say to me, "Oh, she's the Michael Moore of the right," 
No, she's not. Actually. Just to well, give an example of uh, how people can take her out of context within minutes of actually hearing her words. Remember, during her speech, she uh, tongue in cheek was mm. basically saying, "Oh, I wish we could have a month off in the year yes. when we just don't hear from gays." You know, <laughs> a little tongue in cheek. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But one of the questions, not moments later, was. Uh, what do you mean when you should we should have an anti-gay we, uh, yeah, month? Yeah, exactly. And she said, I didn't say anti-gay. No. I was just referring to the fact that it seems that you turn around everywhere, that's 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 what you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Much like, a, uh, I've, I've seen it before in, um, ooh, a Family Guy episode. Yeah. <laughs> Family yeah. Guy episode, very beginning, where they do a spoof of Star Wars, and it starts off a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when gays weren't so in your face about it. Yep. You know, that's humor. Yes, and that's you know. a great example of how, I mean, how they immediate say it. The, the, the distortion can be. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> even take, yeah, it doesn't sure. even have to filter through three reporters. Right. Well, you know, we couldn't pick a better moment than now to take our first break because this subject is exactly what we're going to hear Ann Coulter talk about in this next clip. This is from the Michael Corrin broadcast that we referred to a bit last week. Originally broadcast October, or October, what am I saying, March 23rd. Uh, just a few weeks ago when Ann Coulter was here. Hard to believe it's been two weeks now, has it? Am I I counting right? Anyway, uh, here's what she had to say, and we'll continue the conversation after this. Ann Coulter is my guest, an exclusive interview, and um, there are shows with with bigger audiences, of course. Not that many, you'd be surprised. Uh, Look at some of the the, the audience sizes. For your publicly funded TV, you'll be amazed, really. A a dollar per head to get people to watch that show. Anyway, Anne is only doing uh, this this program. I don't think because we we promise to be um, generous or sycophantic, but we promise to be fair, to allow people to to speak their mind. I I have to say this. I mean, we've had all sorts of people on the show who've said the most outrageous things and little response has taken place. Uh, Universities across this country, there are speakers who say things which are outrageous and, and profoundly racist. But again, they're, they're on a certain political spectrum, and they're, they're acceptable. Anne Coulter comes to Canada. Before she set foot in the country, there is um, an academic bureaucrat who says, be careful, you may be charged with a criminal offence. Let's give you a couple more quotes. And again, these may not be genuine. Excellent. My greatest tip. Uh, my only regret with Timothy McVeigh is he did not go to the New York Times building. Now, what came before the... That, what came after that, it could be, uh, there could be a context. He, he, was, uh, he was the Oklahoma I bomber. I don't even think that needs defense. I think it's quite obvious what I meant by that. Um, but you, don't is... want, you don't want liberal journalists on the Times to die. It would make my life very lonely and sad, wouldn't it? is just just I mean I don't think it needs any defense um, you can imagine I can tell you what it was but it doesn't matter I can I can cite yesterday's New York Times for why that quote makes perfect sense um, but that's but, but, not a quote from 2002 but Anne, look, I just want to say that as a quote from eight years ago okay. no, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna push you on it because I mean you should read my Wikipedia <laughs> oh, I entry. love the it's, quote I'm not apologizing for it. you, you don't want journalists the New York Times is, is, is frequently inaccurate it's horribly one-sided it sometimes even tells lies it's hypocritical the way it treated the the, the Kurt Vestergaard's cartoons of Muhammad but you don't want the journalists who work for the Times to die no I don't want the janitors to die if you're gonna correct that statement I don't want the secretaries or the no the editors and the journalists are precisely whom I was talking about. Um, and wait, well, I was going to say, they don't, they don't, what's c- clever about the New York Times, as their most loyal reader, um, 
They don't lie the way the Bush League newspapers lie and the Bush League liberals lie because I obviously cite the New York Times quite a bit and a lot of, a lot of liberal media in my books. Um, and often I'm expecting to be able to find quotes on a particular topic from the Times. And they, they lie in a very particular way. They lie by omission. It's not that generally um, that they will state a fact that is absolutely untrue. It's just that they won't give you all the facts, which is why I keep wanting to write, you know, the New York Times version of, a, of, of Hitler's obituary. It would be, you know, artists dies. And they go through his military history and how he was a frustrated artist. And, you know, someone would read the obituary and say, you didn't mention the Holocaust. Did we say anything that wasn't true? You know, you write your own obituary. You don't have to write everything. We have a word limit here. But is anything untrue in this obituary? No, nothing is technically untrue. You just leave out what many people would consider relevant facts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I listened to that example, and I've lived it literally. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert, so did you. Remember when we first went? Interestingly enough, to a human rights commission hearing. Oh, regarding Elijah Ilyev. And then we attended the first time, and we read the paper the next day, and I said, were we at this event? <laughs> All I heard the whole day was a litany of witnesses who supported his side of, uh, side of the view, and there was not even one mention of them in the paper. They did, however, accurately cover the people who were opposed to him, mm -hmm, and Susan course, Eagle's yeah. comments, and things like that. And that's the thing that brought me into that issue. Right the then and there. That I was only an observer up till that point. You know what's interesting, Bob? One of the things that brought me more actively into politics was an incident of media bias that I witnessed personally. It infuriated me. That's what, that's so what I Mark Emery going night, too. Eh? And <laughs> that like was that. it. I, I decided to get find out who the candidate was in my riding. It was Salim Mansour, as it happens, which was wonderful. I'm st we're still friends to mm -hmm. this day. Um, but that's what inspired me. Yeah, it, it seems to have launched many a political career. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, during that uh, talk with... Uh, oh, what's his name? It's CTS. Oh, <laughs> Michael, Michael Corn. Michael Corn. Yeah, the yeah. name just was right there yeah, at the tip of my tongue. Senior moments. They I were know talking like. about um, <laughs> uh, the Times quote she was saying about Timothy McVeigh, and she said that was eight years old. Well, the magic carpet quote was also ancient, yes. Yes. as was a lot of the talk, uh, a lot of the quotes that people pick up on. Remember the speech here at Western wasn't even about that. It took questions from the audience to tease out these ancient yes. remarks she made long time ago and push at them and push at yeah, them and rip the scab off and try to make it bleed again, right. you know. Yes. <laughs> so the, the provocateurs were in the audience and Coulter wasn't so much of a provocateur as the people asking these questions about ancient history. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, there, there was a, I, I think the media, I don't know if there's a media overkill on this yet or not, or how the media is feeling about I'm it. I'm surprised they're still talking about it. It's absolutely amazing. I, I was stunned. I thought we'd put this off for a couple of weeks, but it's still rolling. Um, articles in the paper yesterday, I haven't seen today's papers yet, um, certainly talking about it on the radio. And this is just from a day or two ago from uh, over at AM980 when uh, Jeff MacArthur said a really funny thing about Ann Coulter. And during his discussion of the Christian uh, militia terrorists they just found mm -hmm. in the U.S., mm -hmm. who, who you know recently uncovered, uh, he made this. Uh, Jeff makes this uh, this particular proclamation the other day, and I quote it here: "Quote, I made a decision for all of us here. 
I'm sorry to be so autocratic, but it's my show. No more Ann Coulter. <laughs> I don't care what the issue is. We can't bring up Ann Coulter anymore. And so he says this, and of course, you know, because she kept coming up in the discussion that wasn't even about her. So her name has been sprinkled through all the various issues around the country, including that one that's occurring right now. Well, I'm bringing that up right in, in the moment. So he says, I've had it with Ann Coulter, so a, mor- a moratorium on Ann Coulter trying to link her to any issue, okay? So guess what the very next words out of his mouth were? Ann Coulter? No. <laughs> when we come back, a very interesting court case out west that's being heard. Right. Should a comedian who's be allowed to be sued <clears throat> for harassment? And I'm sitting there. That is why Ann Coulter exactly. came to the country yes. to bring those very issues to our attention. Yes. And uh, now, of course, it's not a lawsuit. It's about a BC Human Rights Tribunal, uh, which are a lot of people don't understand are complainant-based procedures. Okay, they're not like a, a court of law. And it's against a guy named Guy Earl, who's, I'm not sure whether he's a stand-up MC or a comic. There's he's a, lot a, of he's a comic, comic, but that, yeah. Partic- yeah. that particular what's function, the, he was MCing it. What's really interesting, though, is the his lawyer uh, refused to provide evidence until they decided on the jurisdiction. Basically, what happened was... Yes, he that was, was a, a now, big story. I, it was a great story, because I thought, could it be? Could it be that the wheels are falling off the uh, human rights... Uh, commission bus. One can only this vote. is, you know, this was pretty bold for him to, he, and he's right, first of all, to take that position. But we know that the, the human rights uh, uh, courts they don't they don't operate the way. You know, I saw yeah. the same thing at the Uliev case. The, the lawyer for the London Free Press came in yes. and challenged the authority of the commission to even subpoena him. Mm-hmm. And but then carried on as though <laughs> business as usual. Yeah. You know, I protest, but okay, we cooperate. Here we go. Right. I remember and, during and that Human Rights Commission with Elijah Eliot, the, mm-hmm. the uh, judge Ajit Jan, I think it was mm-hmm. the name, was his name? name? Yep. actually, at uh, Susan Eagle's request, stood up and said, "I want everybody in the audience to identify themselves." Oh, yes. Would you ever see that in a court no. of law? Oh my God! Oh my God! I just can't believe that was at such a the, thing. that was at the uh, at the the first meeting that the we went, the first time we first went. Hearing with Elijah and it was Elias. because we were there and they knew who yep. we were that they wanted to make sure that it was brought to their attention, and that was what opened the whole can of worms for them. And um, so, you know, kind of justice came back. You know, um, how are we doing? How, do you want to get into the issue of um, some of the letters we got last week and get into the issue of freedom of speech itself? Can we or just? Did you wanna... uh, well, I just wanted to, yes, to fur- um, because that was a very good point. I do want to, so I want to emphasize that it was mm-hmm. us and right. not the universities, because this led to some confusion with the first AM nine eighty article. Apparently, they were trying seeking comments from the University of Western Ontario about why they brought Ann Coulter. To which I said to them, but you were looking for the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And you know, had we been able to advertise freely, these put these posters up, maybe people would have known who to contact for information. But there wasn't and a that was a crazy. Here, was no, it? not so much. Okay. But it is the same issue, really. I mean, if they want the information out, if they're it the gets newspaper. There. They should have found you know, out the, who absolutely. Did it. I'm you sorry, and I'll be... just make a point about the Ottawa situation. Um, Again, we had there was a lot of confusion from people about how to register. And what was interesting was um, we didn't do a lot of advertising, but the, the registrations were coming in at a good rate every day and things were filling up and things were going well. But when that letter hit the news, Francois Ull's letter hit the news, it went crazy. Mm. And we started getting a lot of uh, registration requests um, more than we could handle, in fact. And it also got that university legitimately involved where they weren't really before, mm-hmm. in, in almost an official way. But and we ended up having to, um, on the Monday as I was leaving to come to Western, 
um, I got a phone call saying, you, I've been told you have to hire double the security, otherwise we'll cancel your event. So we had to fork out another $1,300 for more guards. Um, similar thing happened in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, people really need to ask themselves, is this a rational response to a woman, like as a speaker? I, no, I, it, it was it, insane. It, it, it was obviously all politically motivated and people had agendas and they wanted to um, make a case which actually they, they didn't make. You actually saw what happened in Ottawa. You've been, you were oh, at yeah. all three of the oh, yeah. presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, were there as many people there as they suggest between uh, almost 2,000, 1,500, 2,000? I don't know because oh. I really wasn't outside. I did see a lot of people mm-hmm. outside, but I was inside stuck in the room. Uh. Um, so... But all I know is there were fire alarms. There was no way for people who had properly registered to get in the door. They were being blocked by protesters in the vestibule. Vestibule. Mm-hmm. Those people should have been cleared by security. That's what we paid for. Uh, it didn't happen. And I have to also say, uh, the media in Ottawa, my God, they're like jackals. I don't, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. In London, we said, here are the ground rules. In Calgary, we said, here are the ground rules. Some of the press didn't really like it, but they accepted it. In Ottawa, uh-uh. I've, honestly, I felt so overwhelmed and intimidated after that experience. It was really, incredible. You were right behind the scenes with Ann Coulter during this whole event. Is there anything that may have stuck out in your mind that wasn't in the press? Maybe some little tidbit of uh, comedy insight. or whatever insight about the whole thing that uh, is not getting out there? No, not really. Other than, you know, she's a really nice person. And I think you guys discovered that, too, when you were having a chat with her. Yeah. Michael Corrin also talks about that. She's just she's just a really nice person. What was, I, her, uh, what was her own take on the whole thing? I mean, she must oh, have been she, a little flabbergasted. Yeah, I think especially in Ottawa. It was, I think she was a little bit. You know, she doesn't strike me as someone you can you can easily intimidate. No. <laughs> Having said that, it was really I was intimidated, and I'm not a, I'm not easily intimidated either. Honestly, there were a few moments where I just felt overwhelmed. So I'm glad that she, we didn't actually even get her to the venue in Ottawa. We couldn't have. Uh-huh. There was no the guards ideally would help us should keep at least one spot free where so they could bring her in. At the university. She couldn't even we couldn't even, we wouldn't bring her there. Uh-huh. And basically then people quibble about well you canceled it. Excuse me. No. Um this wasn't a choice thing. When the police say to you you've got you've got thousands of people here uh, and they say to you we cannot guarantee the safety of your guest or your the attendees. Is that really a choice we can There's make? There's no choice There's there. There's no choice there. Yeah. No, I would have thought that uh, Ms. Coulter would have been in uh, in the back room, the green room, so to speak, waiting for no, this. No, we happen. couldn't. We hadn't even gotten her there. Actually, listen, believe me, again, like I said, the, the, the phone call started in the afternoon about the security people's concerns. The protesters are gathering. Uh, we don't know what to do. What's going? You know, we're we're we're, we're well, not sure about this event. So, I mean, they were they were telling us about their concerns beginning in the afternoon. No, it's it's ironic, you know, because it certainly does seem to indicate that the letter instigated a lot of this, gave people the the, the thing to rally around. You know, yes, absolutely. And I think Bob uh, Ezra's remarks were fantastic. I don't know if you saw his comments at the um, Ottawa venue where he said the fish rots from the head down. <laughs> you couldn't have put it more perfectly. I'm well, so. And by the way, I'm so glad Ezra agreed to do this tour. Um, he was fantastic. It, it was just such a huge contribution to have him there. And he really was the Canadian content, too. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that a number of professors actually asked for Francois Hull to sort of apologize for the yes, letter that C-A-U-T. he... Has he actually done any apologizing? I haven't heard any. Nothing. I so he's, he's still standing by his remarks, <laughs> is he? <laughs> 
he's in hiding. He? <laughs> I think so. Well, listen, we're going to be taking a break in a couple minutes, but before we do that, I want to read a couple of letters that we'll respond to after the break. In response to our show last week, um, I know you heard it now, it was our, we called it In Praise of Ann Coulter, even though Ann Coulter and I did nothing but argue on the show (laughs) she was on, but, um, you know, it was interesting some of the response we got, and um, here's one, Uh, this is from regular listener Chad, and he writes, hi guys. Just a quick note to say, I never miss your show and found your hour on Ann Coulter refreshing and reassuring. Your show is by far the most informative, thought-provoking show on Canadian radio. Well, there, there's, a, there's a compliment, Robert. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. And he asks, he says, I agree, her treatment, referring to Ann Coulter, Ann Coulter's treatment in Ottawa was a complete disgrace. I'm just curious to learn your thoughts on a situation where, for example, someone from the Taliban or the Nazi party wanted to speak on campus. According to our freedom of speech laws, they should be allowed to speak, correct? And that's what Chad asked. And I'm going to say very quickly, yes, they should be allowed to speak, but I'll explain exactly why uh, later on in the show. But I did, uh, Chad, if you're listening, and uh, this is a great way to test to see if, our, if they're really <laughs> listening, okay? Um, I found this fascinating when you said you found last week's show reassuring. I'm not, I could interpret that so many ways, I'm not sure what you meant by that. So if you want to send me a little note and let me know what you meant by reassuring, it might, might illuminate us on something here in terms of what's going on with this issue. And then this uh, next letter. But just before you get to that one, yeah. Bob, just uh, quickly to Chad, when he says that according to our laws, they should be allowed to speak, I really wonder because our laws about speech, and I thought maybe I would talk about this a little later mm. on, our laws about speech are not clear-cut. You really have to be guarded in this country about what you say, and you can hear Correct. it when you hear anybody talking about That's free speech That's the very issues. issue I want to address, too. So I, I would say, Chad, not necessarily according to our laws. Anybody can speak in this country because we don't really know what the laws are. Well, <laughs> Especially if you can <laughs> That's be an interesting drawn up in front of a court for offending somebody. Now, now here's a second letter we got, and this one uh, came as a little surprise because this is from someone we know, uh, Paul McKeever, who's been a, mm-hmm. a, a guest on the show, no doubt, and is certainly in line with us in terms of freedom of speech, but boy, he didn't like what we had to say last week, Robert. <laughs> and he writes, Bob and Robert, you'll forgive me, I trust, for expressing my opinion that you both got it wrong regarding freedom of speech. Bob's error, that's me, was to assert that free speech is absolute, but that defamation is somehow not, quote-unquote, speech of the kind one is somehow absolutely free to utter. Speech is speech, A is A, and defamatory words clearly are speech. In a free society, speech must be regulated. The legalists and the libertarians are at the root of this absolutism nonsense. Well, thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, And then, he says, Robert's error, and that's you, Robert. Don't hold back, Paul. was, Was to suggest that in a free society, it is the consequences that are punished, not the speech. That's like saying the death is punished, not the murder. Consider that we do not punish police for killing a person who is about to murder where such is the only way to prevent a murder. We punish murder, not death. Similarly, we punish defamatory speech, not the harm that results. Jim tells a crowd that John's a murderer. The crowd never buys from John again, whether it's true or not. If if Jim was wrong, he is punished for his words. If he is right, he is not punished for his words, even though the effect of his words on John is awfully negative. Love you both, Paul. Well, I don't know if that's love, but um, if that's love, <laughs> Tough what, love. what's hate literature? I'm going to address that issue after this break, Paul. We're going to hear Ezra Levant, in fact, say something that sounds very similar to what what Paul just said there. And uh, what we're about to hear um, 
you gave me a heads up on this. I think I got an email from you, Mary Lou, on the weekend. And you said Ezra Levant was going to be in a debate mm-hmm. on um, uh, CPAC. CPAC. And this was on Sunday morning, and I was going, oh, great, we're going to get a debate. I want to hear the other side of the story in terms of what happened in Ottawa. And this was with Mark Sutcliffe mm-hmm. on the Mark, Su- Mark Sutcliffe show. And uh, so that's where we're breaking. We're going to take a break at the bottom of the hour and hear a little more at the other side, and we'll continue the conversation after this. But first, to talk more about the controversy over Ann Coulter and the University of Ottawa, we were planning to talk to Ezra Levant, one of the organizers of her talk, and Seamus Wolf, the president of the University of Ottawa Students' Federation. But Seamus Wolf told us just before the interview that the Federation executive had instructed him not to do any more interviews about Coulter. So we're joined only by Ezra Levant. Ezra Levant, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. As I just mentioned, we were expecting this to be a bit of a debate today with uh, the president of the University of Ottawa Students' Federation, but he at the last minute decided not to join us. Uh, What's your reaction to that? Well, this is the second time that Seamus Wolf has bailed on a debate with me. On CPAC, on Tuesday, I was on Mr. Van Dusen's show. I I had scrapped other plans because I thought this is a great opportunity to debate the fella who was behind the the lynch mob on Tuesday. He cancelled the last minute then. He cancelled the last minute today. I'm starting to think that maybe he actually doesn't believe in debating, and that's sort of my whole point here. He and I totally disagree on everything, but I'm willing to to have an argument and try and persuade people, even try and persuade him that I'm right. He doesn't really seem to believe in debates, it seems. He'd rather silence Ann Coulter or uh, refuse to debate me. I think it shows he's not really a liberal guy, is he? He doesn't really believe in in a discussion or debate. He just believes in shutting down folks. I'm sort of embarrassed for him, actually. A little bit mad, but I'm glad to have more airtime with you. Now, his reason that uh, it would just give more profile to Ann Coulter, uh, is that a valid reason? Because I think in a way, the protest that, that was launched by some University of Ottawa students and the fact that the event was cancelled actually did turn this into a bigger deal than it was before. Yeah, that's a little bit uh, ironic coming from him. I mean, we had an event on Monday night in London, Ontario, that most people didn't know about because there was no near riot then. It was only when Seamus Wolf and his other ragamuffins uh, threatened to uh, throw projectiles at Ann Coulter, threatened to hit her in the face with a pie, uh, talked about being arrested, overturned tables. That's when Ann Coulter got her profile. So Seamus Wolf actually was Ann Coulter's biggest PR guru. He got her covers that I never could have got. He was amazing. Seamus Wolf, the little fascist from the University of Ottawa, got Ann Coulter international publicity. I tried my best. I couldn't do it. Seamus did. So for him to say he doesn't want to debate me now because he doesn't want to get publicity, that's baloney. He just can't defend his position. It's the second time he chickened out. Chicken! Now, to be fair, he's saying he would have loved to have debated you, but oh, the executive, yeah, the executive oh, yeah. of the university, of the federation, told the Students' Federation, suggested he shouldn't. Now, let, oh, let's so move he, on. So he was censored? Are you saying he was censored? That's sweet. Isn't that rich irony? So the censor has been censored himself. What kind of a gong show are they running over there at University of Ottawa? I'm so glad I don't have a diploma from that place. Otherwise, what would I do with it besides rap old fish?
Now, let's talk about Ann Coulter for a moment, because the, the central argument of the people who are opposing uh, her speech at the university uh, is that she says things that, that in Canada constitute hate speech, that she says things against Muslims and against uh, other identifiable groups, and that uh, in Canada we don't allow that. Is that not true? No, that's not true. Hate is a human emotion. Seamus feels hate all the time. I mean, just listen to what he says. Hate isn't against the law. If it was, we'd all have to go to jail because every human being sometime or another feels love and hate, contempt and respect. Um, Seamus hates me. I don't think he's a criminal for hating me. Um, it's, it, what Ann Coulter says is offensive to some people, but what Seamus says is offensive to some people. It's not against the law to offend people. There's no such thing as a human right not to be offended. There is, on the other hand, a human right to free speech. In fact, I'll point it out to you, it's section two of our Canadian Charter of Rights, section one of our Canadian Bill of Rights, and we have this free speech tradition going back centuries. We inherited it from Great Britain. So Ann Coulter has a fundamental human right to say her piece, and, you know, if you don't like her, switch the channel. Don't go to listen to her or go and ask her good, tough questions like we had in Calgary um, on, on Thursday night. I mean, you can go and debate somebody. That's not Seamus' style. He'd rather throw things. But Ann Coulter has every right, especially on a university campus. I mean, and University of Ottawa is known for its hateful speech. I mean, every year they have a week-long anti-Semitic festival called Israel Apartheid Week where every Jew hater around is invited. By the way, they're not forced to pay for their own security like we were, and their vice president of the university never sends them threatening letters about prosecuting them. Only Ann Coulter, which goes to show that this whole ruse about hate speech and political correctness, it's not for real. It's not about protecting people's feelings. It's about power. It's about hardcore left-wing activists like Seamus Wolf and his boss, Francois Houle, the vice president of the university, saying some hateful speech, like Israel Apartheid Week, we really love. We'll actually subsidize it. But some people we don't like, with, like Ann Coulter, will call them criminals. That's hypocrisy. And you know what? University of Ottawa's brand just lost half its value. It's, they're a joke. They're a laughing stock. And I think but even are, Alan Rock knows that. Are there limits on free speech, though, in, in this country? Absolutely. So there sure are. Let me list a few of them. Uttering a death threat. That's not free speech at all. That's actually a crime. It's in our criminal code. Inciting a riot. Totally against the law. It's a crime. Fraud. So has Ann, just because we're short on time, I want to cut ahead to this. Is, is Ann, has Ann Coulter crossed the line at any point with some of the things she said, like, we need to go over to the Middle East and kill all their leaders and convert them to Christianity? Not at all. In fact, I'll say that right now. We need to go kill Mahmoud Ahmadinejad and invade. We should kill Hugo Chavez while we're at it. Did I commit a hate crime? No. Are you offended? I don't care. If you are, turn the channel. I think we should kill Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. That's not a crime to say it. It's a political statement. Maybe it's offensive, but I don't give a damn. Ezra Levant, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Wow. I like Ezra. <laughs> you're, lis much. you're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation. You know, after hearing that, I was wondering, has Ezra caught a bit of a coulter? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Ooh, isn't that bad, eh? Uh, but you heard him wrestling with that same issue or having to answer the question between what is the right to free speech and what are limits on free speech, as though, um, you know, you can talk about them in two separate categories. 
You know, um, it's interesting, too. I was looking at an article here. Yeah, here it is from yesterday's London Free Press. Coulter has the right to silly opinions, writes Alan Shanoff, who at the end of his article suggests that protesters who cause a cancellation of a speaking appearance, he says, uh, he calls that censorship. And then, of course, he goes on to say, of course, freedom of expression has its limits, but the limits are further downfield than, than where Huell would place them. But, of course, what does he say the limits are? He doesn't suggest anything. Just further down, feel, somewhere down there. And that's part of the problem. After Paul wrote, wrote us that letter, I know we had a little chuckle with it, Robert, because we thought we, could, we had covered most of those points, and we thought we had dealt with it on both sides. It wasn't until I had a conversation with him on the phone later that he said something that clicked with me. And he said, I should know better. He says, because, you know, the issue is consent. And as soon as I took that principle and his definition of what free speech should be. So instead of giving you my argument and getting to my conclusion, let me give you the conclusion first and we'll test it against the arguments and against what happened with with Ann Coulter. Shall we do so? And here's a definition that we finally more or less arrived at. Still working on it, but I think this takes us like 99% of the way to solving this whole dilemma. And he, and he defines it as such. Freedom of speech refers only to speech that does not obviate consent. This is also the rule of freedom itself. I think freedom is the right to do anything that does not obviate consent. Now, I took it one step further. If that's going to be the definition we're going to work with, and we're going to test it to see how the consent principle applies, then censorship must be only those government restrictions on speech that does not obviate consent. In other words, speech that should be allowed. Otherwise, there would be no such concept as censorship, would there? Would there? If you're going to call, um, you know, fraud, limits on fraud, and, and, and those kinds of things, censorship, they're not. So I'm going to say, you know, absolute freedom of speech, yes, because like all freedoms, it includes responsibility. And yes, the word absolute is redundant, but we're forced to use it because everybody else puts adjectives on it. <laughs> and I think there's no such thing as a freedom to act irresponsibly, with, irresponsibly without consequences. There's no such concept. This is the very type of freedom of speech that the left is advocating. They believe that they're expressing freedom of speech when they hold protests and they prevent others from exercising their freedom, not to, not to talk, but to consent. That's that's the principle that's being broken. They believe that they should be free to destroy the freedom of others. And what the protesters exercised was not freedom of speech or anything even close to it. So I pick up a dictionary. And, you know, this is part of the problem as well. If you look at the word free, you'll find almost 50 definitions. If you look at the word freedom, another dozen or two. If you look at some of them, some of them are, are what I would call metaphysical. Some are epistemological. And the metaphysical ones are the ones that people get confused with. But listen to the two differences here. I just picked four definitions to compare, two on each side. And this is from uh, Funk and Wagnalls. First, there's this definition of freedom. Liberty to move or act without, uh, without outside inter interference, coercion, or restriction. And liberty of personal choice, action, or thought. Now, that's the kind we might mostly agree with. But what about this definition of freedom? Release or immunity from any stated thing or condition, with from, as in freedom from pain, or exemption or release from obligations, as in responsibility, ties, etc. 
Now, that's the second type of freedom of speech that the left is advocating and exercising. To them, freedom of speech means protesting and using spoken threats of coercion to prevent other consenting adults from engaging in a consensual exchange of ideas. That's what's going on. Mm -hmm. They use the word freedom as well when they talk about, for example, freedom from hunger, freedom from pain, freedom... That's that's metaphysical, and there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Because that would require slavery upon someone else to offer you the freedom if you aren't... It requires an obligation on somebody else, yes. And, And so... When some people say there should be no limits on freedom, for example, religious freedom, what they often mean is that they should have the right to be irrational and to override freedom by not being held responsible for their irrational actions. And that's why people say, oh, there shouldn't be absolute freedom. can't have absolute freedom. Because some people behave irrationally, right? And, uh, you know, some people might apply that to, say, not allowing life-saving blood transfusions of their children and things like that. Similarly, some people use the term free speech imply that they should be immune to the consequences of what they say. And therefore, that's freedom of speech. I have freedom of speech if I can say anything I want and not be responsible for it. But that's not freedom. It can't be. can't be part of that definition. You're either free or you're not. You're either free to act responsibly and to bear the consequences of your action, which include speech, or you are not. That is the, that's what freedom is. And that also means, aha, that freedom is absolute. Because as with, uh, you know, and with freedom of speech, here again, the word absolute, yes, it's a redundancy in a way. But uh, if you're going to regard libel and slander as regulated speech, then you'd have to look at, say, laws like murder and theft and call them, well, that's regulated freedom, okay, which equals conditional freedom and which equals no freedom. Because as soon as freedom is conditional, it doesn't exist. There's no such concept. And unless uh, truth and reality remains a defense, which is a big problem with human rights yes. commissions because they want to remove that, right. then you can't have a discussion on this whole issue. Uh, and it'll never make sense. And it's interesting because um, I was thinking it, freedom is a condition. And there's a book called The Condition of Freedom, Conditions of Freedom, uh, ironically, uh, written by Scottish philosopher John McMurray. And he writes that, you know, he's. He says that freedom includes these, not restrictions, but consequences to certain actions. It is the action that is being punished, which is also what Paul was arguing. The consequence is merely affecting the degree of punishment. And that's, that's a debatable issue, too. But to argue that because there are consequences, in, you know, in particular in a punishment of government for certain offenses, that there's some sort of restriction on a particular freedom, I think is by definition false. Because it kind of obliterates both the definition of freedom and censorship, which I think has to focus exclusively on legitimate speech that does not obviate consent. That's why a person's reputation is important. If I lie about your reputation, other people might not do business with you. They're hurt, too. They are, they, their ability to consent with you has been damaged because they don't know the truth about you. And therefore, or, or even the opposite way, they might know a lie about you and do business with you and, and, um, and get, you know, get hurt that way. So, so is there no such thing as government restriction on consensual speech? Of course there is, and that's what we call censorship. Now, you know, if freedom of speech is to be regarded as stri- restricted speech, then, you know, what would we call the unjustified restriction of speech that should be free? And, uh, you know, this would mean that there's no such thing as censorship. We'd only have a list of permitted things that we can say. That's almost where we're at, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Things you can say, political correctness. You're referring here to hate laws, yeah. for example. And so, you know, epistemologically, you're left with two kinds of restricted speech and no kind of free speech, and that's where you end up. Now, Ayn Rand, she wrote about freedom of speech. She said, freedom of speech means freedom from interference, suppression, or punitive action by the government, and nothing else. But then she adds, 
It is forgotten that the right of free speech, and I think this might refer to what Ann Coulter said at the speech uh, at her speech in London. Because remember, I questioned. I said, well, she said she said she was into free speech, but it didn't sound like she was into total free expression. She's not into freedom of expression. Uh, she's into freedom of speech, and now, I wanted to actually ask okay, now, or bring that up as well. Maybe she meant what Ayn Rand is going to say here, and she says it is forgotten that the right of free speech means the freedom to advocate one's views and to bear the possible consequences, including disagreement with others, opposition, unpopularity, and lack of support. The political function of the right of free speech is to protect dissenters and unpopular minorities from forcible suppression. And to answer Chad's question, who wrote us about should, uh, you know, the communists and Nazis be able to speak, Ayn Rand wrote then, she said, communists and Nazis are merely two variants of the same evil notion, collectivism, but both should be free to speak. Evil ideas are dangerous only by the default of men advocating better yeah, ideas. ideas. Isn't yeah. that a one? You, you had that. You had that pick, didn't you? Yeah, I had I that in the tell. book here. Yeah. So, if you weren't going to bring it up, I was. Well, you know, and so um, it's interesting now. Now to bring it to the uh, to the Ann Coulter situation. Listen to what Rand wrote about a very similar thing here, and this is to se- separate action and speech, although. Here you can even see where you can where you can go off track. She says the difference between an exchange of ideas and, a, and an exchange of blows is self-evident. Well, is it? What if you had uh, a boxing match? That would be a consensual exchange of blows, wouldn't it? And therefore, it's not self-evident, and there wouldn't be as strong a law against it. In fact, when someone when someone got injured in in a sporting event, that was often the legal maxim: to those who consent, no, no injustice, injustice is, is done. done. And therefore, that is a major factor in, in, in interpreting it that way. However, I would think that um, Ayn Rand might respond that when she says an exchange of blows, that that automatically means non-consensual. That we have to assume that in that concept, in, in the way she's talking about it. So, but what she, and then she writes, what I challenge is the interpretation of demonstrations and of other actions as so-called symbolic speech. This is, again, speaking to Ann Coulter's point. When you lose the distinction between action and speech, writes Rand, you lose eventually the freedom of both. There is no such thing as symbolic speech. You do not have the right to parade through the public streets or to obstruct public thoroughfares. You have the right of assembly, which was violated by the protesters in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, on your own property and on the property of your adherents or your friends, or, of course, to those people you paid to have an event, right? right? Yes. Uh, But nobody has the right to clog the streets. The streets are only for passage. The hippies in the 60s should have been forbidden to lie down on city pavements. They used to lie down across the street and cause dreadful traffic snarls in order to display their views, to attract attention, to register a protest. If they were permitted to do it, the Nazis should be permitted to do it as well. Properly, both should have been forbidden. They may speak, yes. They may not take action at whim on public property, end quote. Now, doesn't that just almost described to a T what happened yes, in Ottawa absolutely. and the whole situation there. So, you know, it's important to remember consent is not a principle. It's, it's, it's the objective, and I think that's uh, where we have to go. And finally, one word from John McMurray says, there's a sense in which freedom is absolute. It is a sense in which freedom is the defining character of man, the property which sets us apart from the rest of creation and fixes a gulf between us and the highest of animals. This absolute freedom is our capacity to act, not to behave or react, but to form an intention and to realize it. To act is to be free. And that 
That's what he's talking about. And that means to form that intention and to realize it. Let's take a quick break now, and we'll close up with some closing comments. I think you get a kind of a kick out of this next one here because it speaks to something that might be going on in Vancouver right now. And we'll take a break right now. Okay, tequilas. It's salt, down it, and then bite. Hi, I'm sorry to bother you, um, but I wondered if you could make a little bit less noise. You know, have a bit less of an obviously good time. Sorry. Um, It's just that it's upsetting my wife. See, we're sitting over there having quite a dull evening, um, and you laughing all the time is making it worse for her. Walking around, yeah. a massive thing, you know, sticking out at the end. It was a trying time. I'm really sorry to trouble you again, um, but I noticed it was you who put this song on the jukebox. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was me. Right, well, I mean, obviously it's a bit late now, but um, I wonder, could you not put it on again? Um, because it makes my wife very unhappy. Um, I mean, obviously, you weren't to know, but it reminds her of a very violent time in her past. There you go. We've got to protect our feelings, don't we? That was Mitchell and Webb. I love those guys. Yes. Great. So any final words, Mary Lou, in yeah. our last four minutes or yeah, so? Yeah, and I, and I hope I don't sound terribly incoherent, but there were a few things that mm-hmm. I did want to touch on. Again, going back to this idea that uh, this was, uh, what happened in Ottawa was a result of the camel comment. Outrageous. Just so you know, prior to the event even taking place in Ottawa, the... Uh, People who were opposed to Ann Poulter were doing things like they were uh, contacting Muslim groups and and saying, you should come, you should come. They were putting up posters for them. And they were also putting up posters claiming that Ann Poulter was anti-Semitic. Now, if you can't see the absurdity and the incoherency in these people's arguments, it was all Mm. about stopping and they didn't care what tactics they used to do so. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to talk about inciting. Uh, I mean, it was just ludicrous. Um, and uh, I think one of the other things I keep hearing the media say, even when people are trying to be generous to Ann Coulter and say, you know, may, I may not like her, but she certainly has. A, everybody keeps talking about, well, she's just an entertainer. She's just trying to sell books. Look, folks, it's a little bit like the Bush is a moron, Bush, Bush is an evil gen- mm-hmm. genius argument. Which is it? Um, either you believe she thinks, either you think she believes these hateful things she says, or you think it's a, 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 a ruse. Which is it? Um, I think Ann Coulter believes the things she says. I can tell. Um, being a person who so I inspired agree. myself, I, I mean, she's not putting it on for anybody. And uh, I think the other um, show business is a bit of, of doing. If you're in, if you're pushing an idea, you have to be a little bit entertaining about it. Absolutely. I look, and that's why she gets all this attention. Sure. I love, uh, you know, George Will, uh, William F. Buckley. I love those people, but that's not. They don't capture the general public's attention the way Ann Coulter does. I think last week I called her a political satirist. And it's not just a satirist, but it's a political satirist. She's out there to make political points and she believes what she says when she satires 
politics. And let's face this is the importance of satire is that it's, it's, it's like you're holding up a mirror to people. Um, and it, while it might be like a funhouse mirror, okay, it might distort certain aspects and underplay others, but it's still a valuable lesson for people to be to, to, to sort of look in that mirror. And that's what the satirists do. Uh, and I think that's a valuable contribution to political discourse for coming here (laughs) absolutely and and on that note i'm just going to mention one of the emails and i did i received a lot of very grateful emails from young university students and one of my favorites was from a a young girl who had immigrated from china and um she thanked me and we, we got into a discussion and i mentioned to her well it's a bit of a challenge and she said well thank you so much for doing it but um, one of the points she made was, she said, I, I saw how families were destroyed just because their children expressed their free speech in Tiananmen Square. Sure. Um, and I, she said, I also saw, saw how free market system changed an extremely poor nation. So a little bit of economic freedom and changed the lives of billions of people. Mm. Um, and that's why she said, she said, that's why I became a conservative. That's why I believe in limited government. Um, so here's this young woman. She now goes to Fanshawe College. She immigrated here for these very reasons, these very reasons. And she said, I was shocked when I came here to see on campus the political correctness, the things you're not allowed to discuss. Mm-hmm. I think people need to think about that. We certainly do, and that's what we'll be doing. Now, <coughs> can we have you back again in the Absolutely. future sometime? I know this thing's not going to end and go away soon. The, the I just won't keeps let it. collecting, eh? <laughs> so we're going to have to go. Let's get out of here now, eh, John? And we hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you, Mary Thank you, Lou. Thank okay. You, Thank you, Mary Lou. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright That was a joke! You know how you can tell it was a joke? I know there are no flying carpets So no, it wasn't a serious ball